I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, their songwriting techniques, and occasionally getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. Welcome to episode 213. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Rachel Maria Cox. The Australian singer-songwriter is delving deeper into their pop sensibilities and is releasing The Day You Left EP this coming Friday. In today's episode, we're speaking with Rachel about singing pop music with an Australian accent, their favourite emo songs, and how Hilary Duff introduced them into songwriting. Here we go. Our guest today is a singer, songwriter, composer, and self-described trash DJ. They've supported the likes of Ruby Fields and Alex Leahy, and later this week, they're releasing their brand new EP, which is titled The Day You Left. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Rachel Maria Cox. Hello, how are we? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming onto the pod. It's, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to be here and um, have a <laughs> bit of a chat. Well, it is, it's a very exciting time for yourself at the moment. We appreciate you coming on. Um, there is a, a brand new EP for yourself that is coming out this week. It is called The Day You Left. Mm-hmm. Firstly, congratulations, because it's it's release week, but also this is a brilliant EP. So, yeah, firstly, congrats. Thank you very much. It feels like it's been such a long time coming. <laughs> so it's very surreal. <laughs> of course. Every, I think everyone we've spoken to in the last six to eight months or so, obviously we don't need to get into the nitty-gritty of COVID and how that's delayed and impacted um, artists' lives, but I feel that there are, there is such a high volume of people who are, who have kind of been working on these songs and had this music going on in the background that now that it's finally out, it feels like almost a different lifetime ago. It really does, and I'm sure everyone can relate to this, not just people in music and performing arts, that it feels... The, the time before COVID feels like an entirely different time, an entirely different life, you know? And so it's sort of weird to think about these songs from that time now finally coming out. <laughs> <laughs> were, were these songs, I guess, the inception of them, the, the, the creation, the beginning of them, were they, yeah, around that, that time, that uh, pandemic beginning yeah, era? These are all um, these are all pre-COVID songs. These are songs that um, got... Most of them were written and recorded in 2019, and some of them go back as go back later, go back to like 2018 um, when they were getting when I was writing them. 
Um, and so they feel they don't feel like new songs to me, but in a way they do simply because I, you know, put them away and just put them on the shelf for ages and now I'm coming back to them as well. And so they kind of get to feel a little bit new to me again because I, di- I didn't listen to them in COVID. I didn't listen to my own songs. Um, so I got to listen to them all again um, as this was coming out. And, yeah, it sort of feels new again, which is exciting. 100%. I can imagine that it is It is quite exciting. And I'll, I will very quickly move on in a second from the, the fact that these songs have been around for a while. I don't know about you. I can appreciate not wanting to listen to your own music or your own voice or I, I very much understand that internal kind of feeling um but I'm, I am a bit of a sucker of like once something is completed or something that I've worked on is, is completed having it done and moving on to the next thing if we get like a, a, a I don't think I've held on to a, a podcast episode more than a few months before releasing it mm. and I, I just want to know was there ever any points of I guess antsiness, um, wanting to wanting to get the songs out there and just, you know, kind of having having that relief. Um, a little bit. Although I was always very tentative about releasing them, um, given the uncertainty around live performance, um, mm-hmm. and so it wasn't so much like an antsiness around putting them out and then having that be done. But I was really conscious of not listening to them. Um, too much because my antsiness would be to go back and redo them a lot (laughs) would be to go back and make lyric edits and go back and like redo my vocal performances in particular would be like I I feel like if I'd listened to them too much I would I would be back in the studio right now (laughs) re-recording all of my vocal takes again Um, and that I, yeah, it's not it's not healthy to do that. So I sort of didn't listen to them intentionally, so that I didn't get too tempted, especially in lockdowns, to re-record or try and rewrite anything, because um, I think that would that becomes a never-ending process. Otherwise, yes, I I can very much appreciate that kind of thought of uh, yeah the the ever ever editing ever kind of wanting to improve so I can I can appreciate wanting to let them settle in, in that regard. Um, firstly, Rachel, these songs are brilliant. There is a, for anyone who's been following, I guess, yourself as an artist for the last number of years, that they might notice that there is a bit of a sonic shift that that first album, uh, Untidy, Untidy Lines, um, that was, I guess, sonically in one kind of world. And then I feel like previous single, Prosecco, was a bit of a, a bridge or a gateway drug, if you will, to this new EP. <laughs> um, firstly, I'm, I'm curious what brought upon this sonic change because it is a little bit more, it's definitely still elements of yourself, but it's a little bit more pop, a little bit more, um, uh, I'm going to go with pop for the time being, but. <laughs> yeah, pop is, a, a, pop is how I would describe it as well. Um, and I think, um I think that the reason for the shift is probably twofold. The first one is, I think, um, not necessarily a shift in my listening habits so much because I've always listened to pop music and I still listen to a lot of um, alternative rock and, and a lot of rock music and, I guess, Untidy Lines probably falls into that very 
broad descriptor of folk punk. Uh, and I still listen to that, right? So it's not necessarily that my listening habits have changed so much as I think where I'm drawing my influences from um, has sort of shifted a little bit. Um, I kind of, I feel like everyone has, a, I feel like there's a, a little bit of stigma around pop music and especially this idea that it's not necessarily serious or that, you know, there's a sort of shame around being a fan of pop artists and, you know, lots of other people have articulated this probably more eloquently than me. But I think I just kind of got over any notion of pop music being a guilty pleasure, right? So I think I kind of, I got past that and was sort of like, no, this is just, I just like this. It's not a guilty pleasure. It's just a pleasure. Mm, (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I think feeling more comfortable to wear those influences a little bit more obviously and to kind of own that a little bit more. Um, And then secondly, the other kind of part of it is um, there's an element of folk punk that is... um, as a genre that's sort of about, you know, I don't want to say like the negative things in your life because it's not all like that, but there's definitely sort of lyrical tropes and lyrical elements in that style that's kind of very self-deprecating and very much, um, you know, it's it's very emo in a lot of ways. Um, and again, I don't, I love that, but it sort of, it's just not where my life is at anymore. Um, I move, you know, I think, and this is something that I've, I know that a lot of, um, my friends and my contemporaries are also experiencing is you get older and, and, you know, you kind of get past that a little bit and your life changes and, you know, people settle down, people, you know, recognize self-destructive behaviors and actually take steps to address them. Um, and, and that should happen. You know, I'm a little bit worried about you if you're, you know, in your mid-30s and that hasn't happened for you. Um, yes. So I think that folk punk sort of, it just started to feel a little bit less genuine for what I wanted to talk about and what I wanted to sing about and, and who I was and, and where I am in my life. I can very much appreciate that. And I think it is. It's Firstly, there is nothing wrong with pop music and I think as you mentioned that there is a stigma around that there's a lot of people who still think oh it's lesser because well for a number of reasons it might be that it's repetitive it might be the sonics of it it might be that it appeals to um what what was it I think there was a really interesting book and play and and there's probably been many think pieces on how um fangirls have played this massive part in pop culture for the last 50 years, but we don't seem to shame the fangirls when they like the Beatles, which is like something that is considered serious, but it's just, yeah, it's something that I've never understood. And I think you and I, very similar train of thoughts in that if music is good, regardless of genre, if it's pop, if it's emo, if it's punk, if it's folk, that it is good music at the Mm. end of the day. Mm. Oh, I love Fangirls the musical for that reason because I thought yeah. it's just great to see someone actually address it. Um, but it's it's so true. And I, you know, if anyone's sort of followed what I've been doing in between releases, I've been doing a lot of DJing and DJing a lot of these kind of 
I guess events that are targeted at fangirls that have done the One Direction parties and the Harry Styles parties and the Taylor Swift and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the, this, the audiences are really lovely. Everyone's just there to have a good time and it kind of gets a bad rap of, you know, people are like somehow that makes the music lesser because these people like it. And I'm like, they're nice people. And they're just, and there's no shame around enjoying it. And it's a really, when you kind of get over that hurdle, I think it's, you know, you just get to kind of enjoy things a little bit more and, and yeah, enjoy good music. If it's music that you like, then you shouldn't feel any shame in enjoying it. 100% agreed. I was going to touch on, and I will come back to it a little bit later in your DJing and, and some of those nights. So um, fear not, we will, we will touch on that. Um, <laughs> In relation to the EP and, and to, I guess, these new sonics of yours, I have seen some articles and some press quotes. What were they saying? I think that there was one calling you a, a hybrid of Susie Quattro and Britney Spears, <laughs> another <laughs> another where it mentioned uh, if, oh, my gosh, I'm going to blank on it, if Courtney Barnett and Carly Rae Jepsen had a, had a baby or a love child together. Mm. That I'm, I'm curious for yourself because it is very unique to have the the Aussie and Ocker kind of twang mixed in with pop music and I guess what reactions you've you've had, what your thoughts were on it when you started and whether there was any thought of do I change it or do I keep it or I guess yeah, what was how how it's been received so far. Right. So that's it's I'm so glad you brought this up because it is <laughs> so I have a degree in vocal performance and vocal pedagogy. So I am obsessed with singing, not just as like a songwriter, but also as like a, a, an academic field of study. Um, and so it was a really intentional choice to keep the accent moving into this, into this genre. One thing that I think is always really funny is when people get surprised that I can sing without it. <laughs> um, people who've only ever listened to my original music who seem surprised that I can sing without it. And I'm like, did you think I was really going to uni and singing Italian opera with an Australian accent? Like, of course I can sing without <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> it always seemed really strange to me. Um, but it's an intentional choice. And, and I think, you know, it, when I was doing folk punk, that's a really strong part of the genre. Um, and the reason for that to, by my observation, is that it lends a, it lends a sense of authenticity, right, to the song and that, that feeling of this person is just speaking to me. Um, and so the, the singing style mimics the, the speaking voice. Um, and I don't feel like lyrically I've deviated too much away from that to where the accent is no longer appropriate. Um, I feel like I, lyrically I still write like that and so it still makes sense to sing like that. Um, and I also think it's, yeah, I feel like I don't want to just pretend that my old work didn't happen. And so I feel like I thought about keeping the accent keeps this through line. It's still clear that it's still me singing. It's still the same person. It's still the same artist. Um, and I don't want to feel like oh, I just like, 
turned it on to kind of pretend to be authentic when I was doing folk punk and then I can just turn it off at any time, even though I, I can. Um, but, <laughs> you know, from, a, from an artistry standpoint, I thought that, you know, that made the most sense. I know that not everyone likes it and I'm fine with that. You know, I know that that's, it's not for everyone. Um, but it's interesting. I think also as Australians, we have a really weird sense of shame around our own accent a lot of Australians, myself included in some contexts, have a really weird complex around our voices and how we sound when we speak. I feel like that's been brought to light again really recently with the no, Cleo <laughs> whole thing, right? I feel like yeah. we, we feel the need to kind of <laughs> apologise for how we talk. Um, and, again, there's sort of a thing of being like, I, I know that not everyone likes it and I it, it, I know that it's not everyone's cup of tea, um, but I don't have any shame in how I talk. This is how I talk, right? I can't, I can't really do much about that, um, and I don't feel like there's any need to be ashamed of of having this accent. Although it is very funny, after the the whole no thing went viral. Uh, I listened back to Prosecco, and now it's all I can hear is those O vowels. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I'm, you know, it's not for everyone, but I, I don't inherently see that there's any, anything to be ashamed of and that there's any reason that it can't exist in pop music. And the, the line that I always draw is like, um, artists like Lily Allen, who has always sung with this really kind of exaggerated version of her own accent um maddie healy in the 1975 like there's a lot of british artists who do the same thing um and there's no sort of question about whether or not that can belong in pop music um and so i'm sort of like well an australian accent can belong in pop music alongside that i don't see any reason why it can't 100 percent agreed i think that uh, firstly, I'm, I'm working out which bit to 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 respond to, only because now that I'm I, all I can hear in the back of my head is no, Cleo, Cleo, um, <laughs> Cleo. Um, I think it it well. Firstly, it does make you stand out um, as a I guess a unique voice in like a, a Australian pop kind of space. And as you said, there are many artists who have that very distinctive flavour of their own voice, whatever their their um, ancestry background uh, is. And so I think it's maybe more than anything that we're just not used to hearing it as often. And that doesn't, but as you said, it's, that doesn't make it a bad thing. It just means that we should be. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Almost doing it more, or if there are people who are comfortable singing with that Australian voice, um, whether there are a few extra O's or U's within those vowels, like I think that's still fine as well. So I'm, I'm glad that we were able to address it and talk about it because um, I know that I, when researching it, it made it a very, to me, it, it stood out as like a very interesting piece again because it is quite unique and in a positive way. Yeah, and that's the other thing is that it's, I appreciate that if it's not something that everyone does, then it is a sort of a point of difference. Um, yeah, and it's something that I I enjoy doing. Um, I enjoy singing like this. That's the same way that I enjoy singing in other styles with kind of different vowel shapes and all that kind of thing. It, I would I would agree with that. I'm not sure about yourself. I also um, also a, a vocal student at uni. There is some weird enjoyment, and my wife might disagree with this, um, but there is some weird enjoyment in singing in different tones, different accents around the house, trying on different things vocally because it's, it's, firstly, it's fun, but secondly, you get to kind of work out what works, what doesn't work, what fits with you. So it's, yeah, again, there should be no shame in, in, the, in the O's, in the U's. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering whether you would uh, indulge me in, in, I guess, talking about where you first got introduced to singing and, and songwriting and where you kind of found your own calling in that and when you realise that that's what you wanted to kind of pursue? Yeah, I am... It goes a really long way back. I was very, very young when I started writing songs um, and then when I sort of knew that I wanted to do this, I have a really vivid memory of being... Probably, I would probably have been about nine or ten at the time, um, and I had a copy of Hilary Duff's self-titled sophomore album. Um, mm-hmm. and Classic. And a, a great album. Um, <laughs> and I, I remember going through the the booklet with the liner notes, and I remember seeing that uh, there were other people's names listed as having written the songs who was, you know, not the performing artist. And it was the same Mm -hmm. kind of names. Um, And I remember thinking, oh, you can just write songs. I want to do that. Right. And I remember seeing that and realizing that you could, you could write songs for other people, right. That you didn't just have to kind of write and perform um, and that you could just be a songwriter. And I remember, so that was, I think that album came out in 2004, 2005. Yeah. I will agree with you. uh, I, I think. Um, And so, but it was probably around then that I started writing songs. Um, So I would have been, I turned 10 in 2004. So I would have, um, yeah, been about about nine or ten, um, and my mum always sung, um, and my mum has. She's going to hate me saying this, but my mum has written some songs as well. Like my mum's a really good songwriter, um, and she wrote some songs, and she, you know, would play them on the guitar, and she would play other people's songs on the guitar, and we would sing, um, and so I sort of 
followed in her footsteps. I'd sort of self-taught myself a bit of guitar. We had a you know keyboard and I taught myself a little bit of that um, at that point before I'd started getting piano lessons. Um, and I was just writing songs and making things up when I was very young. Um, my mum will like me telling you this because she tells people at every available <laughs> opportunity. The first song that I ever kind of wrote and had performed publicly, I was in year five and we had, I went to a Catholic school and there was the feast day of the Assumption of Mary, um, which for those of you who are not Catholic is uh, <laughs> just a celebration of um, Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. And I forget why, but I got roped into writing a song for our class for, to like do in church, to sing in church. Um, and it was, um, the lyrics to it were probably not theologically accurate, put it that way. I think if you took that to the Vatican and was like, what do you think of this? They would be like, that's not what we th- we say happens. <laughs> um, but it was a bop. Um, and that was my first, that was my first kind of foray into being a singer songwriter, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I <laughs> so, so yeah, at some point there's going to be a greatest hits album and I'm going to dig that out and put it as like a bonus <laughs> track or something. It's going to be like one of my Please. Taylor Swift from the vault tracks. <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> the assumption of Mary from the vault, um, <laughs> and I so I'd, I've I've loved singing. I've always sung. I started getting singing lessons like properly when I was in high school, um, but I'd always sung, um, and I you know grew up in a family where people sung. My grandmother sung, my mum sung, um, you know, and I've always. I think I knew very early on that I wanted to do music in in some way, shape or form Um, and that what I wanted to do has kind of changed a little bit over the years and, you know, grown and evolved and stuff like that. Um, I do still want to write songs for Hilary Duff if she's listening. So um, (laughs) just hit me up. That is still on my uh, aspirations list. But, yeah, it's one of those things that I've I've known for a long time – that I wanted to be a musician. Um, it's just kind of taken a bunch of different shapes. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's very, very fair. I can appreciate that. Firstly, if Hilary Duff is listening to this, please contact us. We will put the two of you together. We'll, we'll make some, somehow we'll get pe- <laughs> her people to talk to your people and we'll get some song sorted. Yeah. <laughs> she can sing the Assumption of Mary. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> All the vault tracks seem to have special guests like um, Phoebe Bridges or, um, oh gosh, uh, who was one of the other ones? Chris Stapleton. Maren Morris. Yes, Maren Morris. So why can't we have Hilary Duff? Hilary Duff. Exactly. I would actually (laughs) love that for 1989, Taylor's version. Like a a Hilary Duff feature. Again, if Taylor Swift is listening to this, I'm just putting, I'm just manifesting this. I'm just putting this out into the universe and hopefully someone hears it and makes it happen. I, I'm just very like loving the fact, Rachel, that, that there's some very small percentage, even if it is one person that's like, if Hilary Duff or Taylor is listening to this podcast, cause that would be great for me as well. So look, I, I hope that all of those things that you're putting out into the universe are true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my favourite track from the EP 
was Boy in a Band. I thought that, and I know it's unfair to kind of pick one of the singles. I feel like it's a, I feel like it's an unfair move, but I feel like this track, I just kept coming back to it sonically when that bass comes in. It is quite, um, it cuts through. Please, if anyone is listening to, uh, sorry, whoever is listening to this podcast, please listen to the EP after this. Make sure you're wearing headphones because that track just slices through when you're wearing headphones. Um, And also the de-pitched vocals a little bit later in the track I thought were brilliant. Um, uh, And I'll let everyone discover those for themselves. But, yeah, I was wondering if you you would be kind enough and all good if not, um, but to, I guess, give us a little bit of a behind the scenes on that song or like the where the creation of that came from yeah that one's my favorite as well so um <laughs> i mean i'm not supposed to have favorites but I, that's my favorite um mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's my favorite to perform live because it's just really fun and it's um very cathartic to to say a lot of these things um so the creation of that and the writing of that um, started around that bass line, that kind of um, bass riff that I came up with. Um, and then the chorus kind of came around that was the um, that sort of chorus hook idea. Um, and then I just reflected on uh, all of the different experiences of feeling like of every single time that I felt like the music industry has been hostile towards me, either intentionally or unintentionally because of who I am Um, and how, and other people's stories of that as well. Right. Like I know, I know a lot of other people who are women or who are trans um, who have had similar experiences and who have shared those experiences. Um, And I was thinking about that and thinking about Really, I wanted it to be kind of comical, right? Because it's it's an angry song in a way, but it's really I'm like, you guys are really dumb. That's what that's really the energy that I wanted to get out with this. Was like not that I'm not I you know I'm mad the same way that you're mad at like an eight-year-old kid when they like do something stupid and then hurt themselves. I'm like, I'm not angry at you, but that was a stupid thing to do kind of, kind of energy. Um, which is, yeah, which is where it kind of came from was thinking about that and being like, it's yes, it's, it's harmful and it's, and it's bad and it shouldn't happen, but also it's, I feel like at this point, enough people have spoken about it and enough people have talked about it that it's just, it's really just very silly. You know, if you're, you know, it's 2022, if you're still coming up to a woman, you know, after her set and being like, you know, giving her constructive criticism um, and you were just a punter in the audience uh, and you haven't considered whether you would do the same thing if there was a man fronting that band or, you know, doing whatever, um, then, you know, I'm like, where have you been? Why, you know, take five minutes, do some self-reflection and, and, you know, come up and maybe don't do that thing that you were about to do. Um, and there's a, the, a bit in the third verse where I'm talking about, um, having kind of infuriating conversations about they, them pronouns and about being non-binary. And I've had 
so many of those conversations as well. That is, all of this I have to say as a disclaimer is not based on any, it's not targeted at any one person or any one experience um, because if I've had that conversation once, I've had it like a hundred times. And, you know, all of those sorts of things of just experiences that I've had that I've thought of as being like, they kind of sucked, but they're also kind of, kind of silly. Um, yeah. And this, the opening bit about dating, dating guys in bands as well, which Maisie Peters put out a song about that as well. Like right before I did. And I was a little bit mad. I'm like, damn it, Maisie, beat me to it. (laughs) Uh, um, we actually had the, uh, it will be out by this time, but I think that there's an episode with Maisie Peters on the pod just before yours. Um, and so, but it, but she got to this before me as well. She, I'm, I'm glad I didn't have this up today because that was. <laughs> no, she's great. She's yeah. great. I love her. Shake our hands a, to the cloud. It's a great song too. Not another rock star. It's a really good song. <laughs> but the, I, I'm curious with your experiences of the the men in the Australian music scene that are like this. It is. It is. Not all men, but from all the stories that we hear from our female and female identifying friends and and um, non-binary friends is that there are a lot of men. So let's be very clear that we're not saying that it does not exist. Um, I'm curious, when you have these conversations, does it ever... Do you ever feel that there has been an opinion changed or that they've kind of taken on that feedback or does it kind of feel like they're the same conversations with the same people who don't pick up on the nuance of maybe what is being said back? When it comes to particularly having conversations about about gender and gender identity and transness, I have had a lot of, I have to say, really genuine and well-meaning conversations about that where it does kind of get a little bit, can get a little bit frustrating because it feels like I'm having to explain the same things over and over again. Um, But I always remember that, like, uh, most of the conversations that I've had about that, to be fair, have been very well-intentioned and people who are genuinely curious or confused and who are very well-meaning and do are making a really sincere attempt to understand Um, and just kind of, they're just like, I've never, I don't really get this, which is like how, you know, your sis, right? If someone says, uh, (laughs) tries to describe the trans experience to you and you're just like, I have, I have never thought about that. That sounds completely foreign to me. And I'm like, yes, cause you're sis. Um, those, so I've had a lot of those conversations where I do feel like it's been a productive conversation and I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm having it. And I'm happy to have them if I've got the time and the energy to have them and people are, are really, like, genuine and open to it because I think that that's one of the best tools that we have for, like, making change and changing people's minds about things is if you can have a really, yeah, have a sincere conversation and have be able to have conversations with people one-on-one about it and put faces and human humans to these kind of really broad terms that I think if you don't if it's not your world then it can feel like it's just this weird abstract idea and being able to 
connect that to real humans and real people, I think, makes that a little bit easier for people to kind of get their head around. Um, so I will say I've had a lot of conversations um, in beer gardens about this that I have thought have been quite productive. I don't know how much the other person remembers of those conversations, depending on like how drunk they are. I don't know how much they remember the next day, but it did feel like in the moment we were we were breaking real ground. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've had I've had some conversations, and I try really hard not to. One of the things that I learnt from doing Sad Girls Club and talking about music and gender in the music industry, one of the things that I learned from that experience was to just not bother to do it online with strangers. I just, I don't, um, I don't think it's productive and I don't think, I think that the way that people's minds get changed about these things and the way that productive conversations get had is if it comes, you have to have a personal connection with the person who's telling it to you. You have to have a reason to want to change your mind. And one of the most compelling reasons for people to change their mind is because they believe that it affects someone that they care about. Um, and so I just, I don't, I don't bother with it online. I don't do it in like comment sections or anything like that. Um, because I don't see that it's productive and I think it's a waste of everyone's time and energy um, to try and try and change people's minds in that in that forum. Yes, I would 100% agree. I think that although while a very handy tool for certain things, the internet has definitely allowed, um, uh, definitely allowed people to interact and not necessarily have to use humanity when they do so, which I think has sometimes made us worse off as, as human beings, but that's not why we're here to discuss my, my thoughts <laughs> on, on that. Um, Rachel, we uh, are going to be lucky enough to see you take the EP on the road for a number of shows. We've got some shows in Sydney and Melbourne and Newcastle. Um, what can, I guess, firstly, are you excited about being able to play these shows in front of a crowd finally? I'm so excited. I'm so excited to go back to Melbourne. I haven't been to Melbourne in, in so long. I'm really excited to be going back to Melbourne. Um, I'm really excited to be playing live again. Um, I've done a couple of live shows with this set with the material from the EP up in Newcastle, um, and I'm really excited to kind of take that to some different audiences and see what people think. Um, one of the things that I did do in the lockdown was get some dancing lessons. I worked with a choreographer called Nicola, who's a, an absolute gem up here in Newcastle. Um, so I feel like my live show has been somewhat improved by my vague ability to dance now. Um, mm -hmm. It's not it's not groundbreaking. <laughs> Don't expect anything, but it's like one step up from that meme of Dua Lipa doing the dance to one kiss. <laughs> Where, like, if you can imagine, like, one step above that, that's where I'd, I'd say mm -hmm. it's at right now. So I'm excited for that because I think it's a different show to what people expect. Again, because of that sonic shift, the, the live show has shifted as well. And so I'm excited to for people to see that because I, I think it's not going to be what people are expecting. I very much look forward to hearing and seeing... Some of the uh, we, we're an Adelaide-based podcast, so there's no guarantee that we'll be able to make those shows. But I do look forward to hearing how they go and seeing some of the footage and seeing that one step up from the one kiss <laughs> dance. I'm very much I'm going to make sure I reach out to um, 
uh, Liz, your lovely publicist, to uh, to make sure there's some form of uh, somehow we'll work out how to get that to us here. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Rachel, usually at the end of the podcast episode, we would get our guests to tell us what they're currently listening to. I wanted to try something a little bit different for yourself. Um, as mentioned before, you do DJ at a number of um, events and nights. Uh, I know that you've played at, uh, and this is self-imposed, so this is not me calling you that on your Instagram. People will find that uh, Trash DJ might be mentioned in the bio. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that you've played at um, a number of, uh, I believe uh, Alex is her, she herself is from Adelaide but helps run Superficial, Call Me Maybe, mm. uh, the Taylor Swift One Direction Nights, which you meant, mentioned, um, and one of my favourite, the Taking Back Saturday Nights. Um, and so I was hoping, instead of you advising of your favourite tracks, whether you'd be able to give us maybe top two or three tracks that you would DJ at uh, taking back Saturday night. So oh, your top, okay. three, top three emo tracks. Top three emo tracks. All right. Yes. Um, so my favorite, some of my favorite songs to play at taking back Saturday, um, straight off the bat is, um, a day to remember, uh, most a day to remember songs, but specifically, um, or it's point to Lauderdale. I hate this town. It's so washed up. I love that. That's like (laughs) such a perfect emo song in so many ways. Um, Then I'm trying not to go for the really obvious ones because there's some stuff that you go to an emo night and you you know you're (laughs) going to hear Misery Business, right? Like you know you're going to hear Welcome to the Black Parade, that kind of stuff. So I'm trying not to go for the really obvious ones. Um, (laughs) I So it would be that, probably... Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite Paramore songs, which is Crush, 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 um, is, is up there. And then I, this is not strictly an emo track, but it goes so hard is, Mm -hmm. uh, Killing in the Name of, I, that, that song, (laughs) yeah, it's not strictly emo, but that song that, that song goes so hard. Have you ever been in like a really, one of those club nights or any kind of emo club, if you get to be in, in a room full of people when that song gets played, that is, yeah, it's a really, a really good vibe, good energy. Uh, and then an honorable mention to Teenagers by Mike M. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant choices. And I feel like that, yeah, there are, there are some tracks that are maybe emo adjacent, but still, very much work at a night like that. The the vibe still applies to those tracks. But um, Rachel, thank you so much for indulging me in that. Thank you for uh, <laughs> giving us your top three emo tracks. Um, what we are going to do is make sure that we have all the links to the EP and these shows in the podcast show notes. Congratulations on the EP, which is out later this week. But um, Rachel, Maria Cox, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. that's our show a massive thank you to rachel maria cox for their time the day you left ep is out this friday and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to stream the ep or buy a ticket to one of their shows we also want to give a huge shout out to liz at special interest for helping out with today's interview if you like this show please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released 
release new shows each Wednesday and Friday morning, and we now have a Patreon, which you can find within the show notes of this episode. You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify, and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.